what a privilege we have to be servants of an awesome God. One who would love us, Lord, who are the unlovable and not worthy of your love. For even the angels asked of thee, why are you mindful of man? For we are a bunch of getters, that all we pray is, Lord, give me this, give me that, take this away from me and give me help, give me this and give me this. All we are are complainers. It's too hot, it's too cold. I don't have enough of this or enough of that. I don't like this and I don't like that. Why are you mindful of us? And why do you love us so? That you would give your only son for our life. That you would allow Christ to die for us. The angels could not understand why you loved us so. And Lord, we are puzzled with that. Why do you love us so? We know that we are your creation. And we know that, Lord, that you care for that which you have created. But Lord, why would you care for those who care nothing about you? For it's difficult for us to understand a love that you have for us. But Lord, in loving us, would you impart unto us the ability to love you in the way in which you love us? that we just don't love you with this fleshly love, but we can love you with an agape love. And we can say, Lord, even as you have said to us and promised unto us that you would never leave us nor forsake us. May it be our prayer that we'll never leave you nor forsake you, Lord. But it is as the song that we just ended with. Draw us, O oh God, closer to thee. And we'll come running, Lord, to you. We'll come running into your arms. We'll come running into your mercy. We'll come running into your grace. We'll come running and kneeling at your feet. Lord, give us understanding. As we open your word today, Give us understanding. Allow us not to hear from a human being, but, oh God, may we hear from you. May your Holy Spirit speak into our hearts. May your Holy Spirit speak into our conscience. May your Holy Spirit draw us closer to thee. That the words, oh God, that are spoken from your word would somehow captivate our life. And make us prisoners of them, Lord. That, Lord, we can do nothing outside of your word. 
For we live and move and have our being within your word, within our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Minister to us, Lord. For we are a people who desperately, desperately have need of you. Minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, thought I was going to head straight to the book of Ruth this week, but I'm not. Because I want to give you four conditions for this area of redemption that when we go into the book of Ruth, you can apply these four basic principles that is necessary for the Redeemer. And when we finish with the book of Ruth, these last couple of weeks I've been studying on Israel. And we're going to look at Israel and try to answer the question, why is Israel in the position that it's in today? From a biblical perspective. We need to understand now there are two perspectives of that. And it starts with really who owns the land. If you leave God out of the equation, the Philistines are right. Palestinians are correct. Israel is in their land. If you put God into the equation, then God gave Israel the land and God owns all the land. He owns all the earth. But you have to remember, those who are fighting against Israel do not believe in the God that we believe in, and therefore they believe that Israel just took or stole the land, and it is not given by God. So that's just a little insight to where we will be going, because our first question will be that we want to answer who gave Israel the right to be in the land? And we'll move from that point. And we're going to move to the point also. Boy, I never understood Israel as being the chosen people. But if you understand this, what Israel has had to go through historically, you wouldn't want to be the chosen people. So it's a good thing God never told Israel all they were going to go through as his chosen people for this purpose. For the rest of us could learn about the character of God. The rest of us could learn about the character of God by looking at Israel. But today is the redemption. And redemption takes a family member. It used to be, but I'm so far away from the used to be's, but it used to be when a family member was in trouble, who would they go to first? Another family member. Whether it be mom, dad, uncle, brother, sister, you would first ask a family 
member before you start asking somebody outside of the family for help. You would usually help. I know when I first got married, and if I needed a little help, I always went to either my grandmother or my Aunt Lizzie. Because I knew my dad's hands were full. Because he still has some folks at home yet. And uh, grandmother and Aunt Lizzie, um, they were my go-to whenever I was in a real problem financially or whatever. And they would help me through it. And we depend on family. to help us in times of need. The Redeemer is also called Kinsman Redeemer, meaning he had to be a kinsman. He had to have flesh and blood just like you and I have. He had to be part of the family. People need to understand this. People are not here of their own choosing. You did not choose to be the person that you are, in a sense. You did not choose to be in this ethnic group or this ethnic group. You did not choose to be in this family or that family. If you read Socrates, and I'm not a big reader of him, just a little when I had to take philosophy and different things, Socrates believes that there were just forms floating up in the air, and you could describe them as spirits without bodies. And Socrates just says somebody came up with an idea that a spirit couldn't could become part of a body or live within a body and therefore bodies somehow were developed and those spirits that are just floating around up there had to find an empty body and then infuse themselves into that body. He's not too far off. We're much like demons, that demons need a body to really operate from or in. But we can't answer that question in and of ourselves where we come from without a creator, without God. Nor do we really want to understand that we are inadequate to redeem ourselves or provide for ourselves. Man still thinks he can somehow be good enough to earn heaven on his own. He does not need any outside interference. He can do it. Man wants to believe that he is self-sufficient and that he can provide everything he has need of and everything he so desires. My wife and I were watching a report 
the other night on TV about Toledo and the shortness of water. In one area of Toledo, they cut the water off for four days because they did not have enough water. And this one lady said she learned how to take a bath in a little bottle of water. And the people kind of like went up in arms a little bit because they were cut off for four days. But that's one of the things yet today we take for granted. That there is enough water. But if you start studying that subject, you'll discover we have a shortage of water and man cannot create water. Drinkable water. Clean water. Now, man doesn't want to acknowledge his own inadequacies or his own inabilities. And that's one of the things that keeps us from Christ, of running to him, of being drawn to him. Because in our minds, we think we are adequate. And we take security sometimes in a false security or in two areas of false securities. One is knowledge, the other is finance. And if we think we have that, we are self-sufficient. We have no need of God. And the reality is, nothing can take the place of a Redeemer. Nothing can take the place of God intervening in our lives and saving us. Now there are four principles that, if you got your pen and paper, I want you to write these four down, because when we go into the book of Ruth, I want you to be able to see them, if I forget to remind you. One, a redeemer has to be a kinsman. He has to be a kinsman. And we're going to look at how is Jesus Christ a kinsman to us? Secondly, he had to be accepted by both parties. What do I mean by that? That kins, kinsman has to be accepted by both parties, has to be accepted by God, but also has to be accepted by you in order to be a Redeemer. Thirdly, that Redeemer had to be able to pay the price. Had to be able to pay the price. Have you ever tried to borrow money from somebody that is steep in debt and don't have any money? You don't borrow from somebody who has a lot of self-debt. They need every penny themselves to do what? To try to stay afloat. <laughs> so that individual has to be debt-free in a sense. And be willing to pay the debt. The other thing is simply this. The fourth one. And this is the important one. 
that you'll pick up in Ruth. And we'll see it very clearly in Ruth. Now, I'll give you a little heads up on it. If you read Ruth in chapter 4, 3 and 4, you'll find that there was another redeemer. But one of the redeemers says, no, because I would put my own self at risk. And whenever you step out to assist or help somebody else, you have to make sure of this one thing, that when you help them, your ship won't what? Sink. That you can stay afloat. And there's the willingness. Is there a willingness just to help you? Is there a willingness just to help you? Is the fourth one. And Usually when you're in a crisis, you've you got to find somebody who's just willing to what? Help you. Period. Redemption is an act. It's a one-time act that God does. Just like if you go to the store and you buy a can of soup. It doesn't become yours until you what? Pay for it. Now, you can take that can of soup home and you can put it in your cabinet and that can of soup may sit on the shelf for how long? Until you're ready to really use it. But it's yours. Why? You have removed it from the store and you have bought it into your house on your shelf. And part of redemption is removing you from one place of darkness into his light. He purchased you to remove you from your present position to place you in another position. Now I want you to catch what Ruth chapter 3 says today in, in verse 1 and then we're going to start with these four principles that have to be met or criteria or requirements. But in Ruth 1, I want you to catch what she's saying here. <laughs> Naomi is saying this to Ruth. And she says, One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I should, should I not try to find a home for you? Understand something here. Should not I try to find a home for you? Ruth is a what? A Moabite. Not an Israelite. She had different gods. And now she's over in Israel. And Naomi, her mother-in-law said, Should not I try to find a home for you? Trying to find a home for somebody who is totally the opposite of the place where they're at. And Ruth has to be willing now to forsake all of her upbringing, all her gods, and that's why she tells her mother-in-law, Ruth, your God will be what? My God. And she also tells her, where you die is where I will die. And this woman had to 
totally change and be accepted with a group of people that would normally want to reject her and deny her. This Moabite becomes an Israelite in a sense. And the one who redeems her is an Israelite. But I want you to catch what she says. Should not I try to find a home for you? And I want you to think of God for a moment. In the Godhead, in the triune God, we created these people. Don't we have a responsibility to these people? Don't, shouldn't we try to save them, redeem them? And in that council of the Godhead, the answer we know is yes. The person is Jesus Christ. And Naomi is saying to Ruth, I'm your mother-in-law. Do not I have the responsibility of trying to find a home for you? Now in that word home, what she is meaning is this. Someone who will love you. Someone who will care for you. Someone who will take care of you. Shouldn't I try to find a home for you? Look what the other part of that little verse says. My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well, well provided for? Well provided for. Well provided for. Understand this. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are well provided for. You are well provided for. And God took the responsibility to find us a home where we would be well provided for in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why he's our redeemer. That he would provide for us. And you would see in the picture of Boaz and Ruth that Boaz provides for Ruth. And Ruth even asked him the question, why do you do the things you do for me and I'm a mobile? Why do you do these things? And we can ask Jesus Christ the same question. Why do you do the things for me individually? If you really have a personal relationship with Christ, why do you do these individual things for me? And I'm so unworthy of them. Yet you do them. He takes the responsibility to provide. Not based on whether you're worthy or not worthy, but you, he provides. He even provides us himself. The song we sung, sorry, I give myself away. Isn't that what Christ did? 
He gave himself away that we might have life. He gave himself that we might have life. He had to become a kinsman. What does that mean? He has to leave heaven. He has to put on flesh and blood. He has to come down here amongst sinners and become like one of us in order to be a kinsman, a part of the family. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, 10 through 14. Now, I don't want you to take the word brother going too far. Some have, yes, Jesus identifies himself as our brother. He says we're no longer servants, but brothers and friends. And sometimes we can take something a little bit too far. And I want to caution you on that. Yes, he identifies with us and I identify with him. We're in the same family, and yes, we are like maybe brothers. But he is Lord of Lords and he's King of Kings. I never bring him down to be like me. I hold him always up here. My grandson asked his mom a very Interesting question. Kevin asked his mom, Mom, what's the meaning of incest? And she told him when brother or sister or father or mother or somebody like that have a relationship. That's incest. Then Kevin invented a new word or or something, but Kevin said, well, we're all ancestors, aren't we? Because he said, Mom, if we're all from Adam, aren't we all brothers and sisters? See, I married my sister. See? <laughs> See? Are you from Adam? And I'm from Adam. <laughs> we get stuck there, don't we? <laughs> but what he was doing, he was thinking through a biblical issue. And his, in his mind, we're all brothers and sisters. That is correct, because we all come through the line of who? Adam, according to Scripture. And when she's in my office, she said, Grandpa, how do I explain it to him? I said, you follow Scripture. We are all brothers and sisters. He is correct in that. But also bring up the point. Yes, most likely, Adam's sons married their sisters. 
that that is all the creation, or you have to add other people there. So whoever they married had to come through Adam and Eve also. So sometimes these kids think they can think deeply than what we do. Yeah. And I said, but what you need to look at, if you remember, and take him through what we call the royal line of England, of Germany. <laughs> they married first cousins, keeping royalty out of the hands of the lower group. But we found out or we discovered if you marry too closely, you have mental problems. You struggle with different issues if you marry too closely. So law was established that you could not marry unless you were at least, I think it was the fifth person out in your family cousin or wives. That those genes wouldn't war with each other or fight with each other or whatever. So I said, you got to take history showing one part, but you also got to show why law said, boy, you don't marry your first cousin. You don't marry your sister. You don't marry your brother. But he is correct. We're all brothers and sisters because we all come forth from who? Adam. And if you deny that, then you're not staying with what Scripture teaches. So in that position, he has you trapped if you're going to stay with Scripture. We all come from Adam. And in that sense, yes, we all are brothers and sisters. It would look odd to see Dick Jr. marry his sister Liz, wouldn't it? Oh, oh you were listening. <laughs> hey, we would all be a little disturbed with that. But the woman he married is his sister. If she comes through the line of who? Adam. But there's a distance there. Not a closeness, but a distance. Go with me to Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Took a long time to get here. Look what he says. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ for all. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest standing and performs his religious duties again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. That Old Testament sacrifice. It covered it, it didn't take it away. Verse 12. But when the priest 
had offered for all times one sacrifice for sin, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because the one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For the sacrifice of those that he is making holy. I'm getting over to Hebrews 2. I'm back to that verse 10 again. And bringing many sons to glory. Bringing what? Many sons to glory. It was fitting God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. There's his death. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the what? Same family. They are of the same family. The one who is holy and who's making us holy, we are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them what? Brothers. Because we are of the same family. I will declare your name to my brothers. Jesus is saying. I'm going to proclaim the name of the Father and the work of the Father to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I. And the children, here am I. And then the children God has given me. Who are the children? That's us. Those who are saved. Jesus said, the Father has given them unto me, and no one can snatch them out of what? My hand. Here am I, and the children God has given me. I, since the children, in 14, since the children have flesh and blood, catch this now, this is the Redeemer. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Have you ever heard the little statement, the family of humanity? What are they saying? All human beings are but of what? One family. 
one family. And that's what he is saying here. That since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. But by him taking on humanity, he became part of our family of humanity and therefore making him a kinsman to us, which allows him then to be our kinsman redeemer because he is in our family. Follow me? He becomes like us, and he is part of our family. What gives him the privilege then to become our kinsman redeemer or our redeemer? Because one of the principles of redeeming is that you have to be part of the family. And he is. Go over to Acts 20, 28. Acts 20 and verse 28. Listen to what he says to these elders or these pastors. Paul is speaking. He says, keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with your blood. Does it say that? No. Which he bought with his own blood. A redeemer has to be willing to pay the price. The wages of sin is what? Death. Jesus pays the price of giving up his life for our life. He tastes death, Hebrews says, for us. That we would not have to taste the pains or the agony of death. And the wages of sin, God says, is death. So he forfeits his life that we might have life. He gives his life and he dies on our behalf. And that's what it's meant. He says he bought with his own blood. Bought is the redemptive action that is taking place. He bought. He just didn't grab us out. He legally, in a sense, bought us back into the family of God. He bought us for a purpose to take us home with him. How many of you buy something, purchase something, and leave it on the counter? Once you have paid for it, you take it. You take it with you. And that's why he's using that word bought. It's the redeemer. He has paid for us. 
and he has every right to remove us from darkness over into light where he is. He has every right to take us from the marketplace to where he wants to take us to. He has every right. He bought us with his blood. Ephesians 1, 7. Ephesians 1, verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption. In who? In Jesus. In him we have redemption. Through his blood. Through his blood. The forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He's bought us. Revelation 5.9 And they sung a new song. You are worthy to take the scrolls and to open its seal because you were slain and with your blood you what? Purchased. You have been bought with a price. What's the price? The blood of Christ. His death. You purchased men for God. You purchase men for God from every tribe, from every ethnic group, from every group of people. People have been saved in the name of Jesus. And language and people and nation. He just didn't do it just for one or two groups. You shouldn't be coming out here this early. And, and, and that whole process, let me get my glasses so I can see the clock up there. The, the whole thing is that, boy, he bought us. He bought us with a price. That's number one. Number two, he had to, he had to be accepted by both parties. Had to be accepted by God, had to be accepted by us. Follow me very quickly as we go through these other three steps. Go to Matthew 3.17. Is that clock right? Is it really quarter at? Somebody, you know, the devil will cheat you every time. 3.17. Matthew 3, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son. Now look what it said. Whom I love, with him I am well, what? Pleased. God saying, I accept the work of my son. I accept what he's going to yet do. I accept him. I am well pleased with it. 
which allowed Jesus to say, at the end on the cross, it's finished, I've paid it, the purchase has been made. We can transfer from the store to our what? To our home. I've paid the price. Hey. Now, go to John 1, 10 through 13. We're going to have to rush on these. I don't know why Vic changed that clock up there, but I'll tell you. St. John chapter 1, 10 through 13. He says, He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not what? Receive him. Now understand this principle here. God could have made you receive it. But God didn't make us receive Jesus Christ as our Redeemer or our Savior. He gave us a choice. We could say yes or we could say no. Look what he says here. In verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Everybody didn't reject him. Everybody didn't reject. Many received. And because they believed and they received, then they were given the right to be transformed or transferred from the store to the home, from the world to heaven. From your present position in life as being lost to a position of being found. And he says, boy, he gave them power to become the sons of God. You just don't become a son of God on your own. You just don't become. Now, hear me, and i got to be clear on this. Just because you say yes does not give you the power to become the son of God or a daughter of God. Just because you say this little prayer doesn't mean it's a starting place. But understand this. The real ability to become a child of God, a son of God or a daughter of God, is the power that is released from Jesus through the Holy Spirit into your life that you live in such a way that it declares you are. That's why 1 John 5 talks about you know, you know. Why do you know? Because you know you have received the power to be able to change through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's not just your yes. It's God's power that begins to work in you through the Spirit that makes the transformation possible. That's why he says he gave them power. And the power resides in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
A lot of people saying they're saved when they're not saved because there's no demonstration of the power of the Spirit in their life. Move very quickly to these next two. He had to be able to pay the price. He had no sin debt of his own. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, it, it, it makes it very clear that he was not in any way trying to pay a debt for his own sin. But the sin was ours. He knew no sin. And he became sin for us. He became sin for us. Go to Second Peter 2.22 because this is hard sometimes for men to accept. And they want to say, well, if he was really human, if he was really human, he had to at least had the possibility to sin. No. Why? He was God. God cannot sin. And as God says, I have no need to lie. So, in chapter 2 and verse 22, he says, He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. He could not have sinned. He had no debt to pay for himself. He paid our sin debt, not his. The fourth one, he had to be willing. Just go to Matthew. The other verses are there, but go to Matthew chapter 20. Is he willing? In verse 28. Look what he says. And this answers that issue if he was willing. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. And to give his life, to give his life as a ransom for many. As a ransom for many. To give his life. Is he willing? Nobody made him. Nobody forced him to give his life. He gave his life willingly. What does that demonstrate for us? If you're going to serve Christ, it is not out of what? Force. It is out of willingness. So he says, if it is a willing mind, it's acceptable unto him. If you just will, you don't have to have the ability. You don't have to have the skill. You don't have to have the capability and the knowledge of it all. You don't have to have it. Only God is saying is this. Are you willing? And if you say yes, I'm willing then he imparts everything else that is needed to perform the task or service he is asking you to perform. Are you willing? Are you willing? You don't need a degree to be a pastor. 
You need a willing heart. You don't need seminary. You don't need Greek. You don't need Hebrew. Yes, those things are all helpful. But the main thing is a willingness. Is a willingness. And then God provides everything else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for ministering to us. Help us, Lord, to see what Christ went through to be our Redeemer. Help us to see his willingness to give his life for our life. Help us to understand it. And Lord, help us to see these four principles when we go into the book of Ruth. And Lord, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you may come. Thanks, Dick. And thank you for giving me a few extra moments. I know I took so long in that first part. But I think if you put it all together, it'll help you see him as our Redeemer. They get out of, out of here late. Don't blame me.